0: Have questions about your health a simple pill won't fix your problems and there's so many points and opinions on the internet that a web search just leaves you more confused so why not take the time and listen to those who know best Rider university's health studies institute presents health 411 truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective right here and now so let's bring it you to your host dr jonathan Carr, professor of biology behavioral neuroscience and health sciences
1: 1077 TheBronc or 1077TheBronc.com, proudly nominated for National Association of Broadcasters 2019 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are live from Killarney's Public House Studios at Ryder University. Welcome to Health 411. I'm Jonathan Karp. The Ryder University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, Truthful Health Information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute communicates cross-disciplinary perspectives affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the business of healthcare. Antonia Conti, our producer, and I are in the studio today with Jim Riggs, professor of biology, Um, Behavioral Neuroscience and Health Sciences, one of my colleagues here at Rider University. And we are gonna talk about aging today. Dr. Riggs on the Rider University campus teaches a course in aging and has been doing that for a long time. Welcome Dr. Riggs. Hi John, hi Antonia, hello everybody. (laughs) Um, We're happy to have you here today um, with this topic, is aging. It's a huge topic, Um, but um, your background, though, is not in aging. Your background is in microbiology and immunology, and can you tell us a little bit about what was it about aging that fascinated you, besides the fact that we're all doing it, and uh, inspired you to create an an undergraduate class here on the Ryder campus?
2: Yeah, so when I was a postdoc in uh, San Diego, in California, in the late 80s, I ended up collaborating with a gentleman who had funding from the National Institute on Aging, and he was studying immunosenescence, aging in the immune system. So we had a lot of conversations, very interesting stuff. I came to Ryder and kind of uh, somewhat forgot about that information at the the outset, got some funding to do some other types of research, and then I ended up doing a sabbatical with that same individual. He'd moved on from uh, the Research Institute of Scripps Clinic in La Jolla, to the University of Michigan. He was in the School of Public Health. I guess it was like 1997 or thereabouts. I did a sabbatical in his lab on immunosenescence and ended up writing a grant that was funded and I ended up doing research in this area. And then eventually that transitioned into thinking about developing a course on the biology of human aging for non-science majors. Up to that point, I was accessing non-science majors via teaching human disease, generally sexually transmitted infections. Students tend to pay attention when you talk about that particular topic. Mm -hmm. And then AIDS. AIDS was a big, big deal and a big question for immunologists. So I had a course that specifically focused on AIDS. But I started to think about how do I make a course that was more widely relevant for everybody. Well, as you stated, everybody ages. Mm -hmm. So I eventually developed this introductory level course on the biology of human aging. So that's this kind of where this it course has been
1: running for a lot of years. There's actually an online version of it, if any of our listeners want to take it online. That is well. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool. And um,
2: just another another key element historically is um, what really kind of drove me to develop the the non-major's course is I actually took a one-week course on aging. It's called the Chautauqua courses. I took it actually with Leonard Hayflick, and Leonard Hayflick is one of the Godfathers of studying human aging at the cellular level. So I was pretty fortunate to capture him while he was still uh, in his prime, so to speak. And I learned a lot and it was, it was a really good opportunity Perfect. to learn some aging. And
1: one never stops learning, yeah. even though one ages. That is correct. That's right, it's, a, that it's an correct. important thing to, 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 to realize. And so in the context of our discussion, as we move forward, um, how are we gonna sort of operationally define aging? What are we gonna do? Because in a sense, we age from the time that, you know, the sperm and the egg that made us um, until the time we die, we're aging. But in the context of our discussion today, is would you like to narrow us in a little
2: Well, bit? We're all, true, we're, we're all aging essentially um, throughout our lifetime, really. Uh, you can talk to a variety of people that will tell you when aging begins. Some people will tell you it begins in utero, even as a fetus, you, you begin to age. Others will tell you it really begins once you've reached reproductive age, in other words, the clock is then is then ticking so a variety of people have a variety of initiation points for when they consider aging to begin but clearly i think once you've reached reproductive age and you're in your post-reproductive age you're clearly aging
1: okay so in in, so in the context of our discussion today we're going to talk about aging as post-reproductive so post-puberty and we're going to talk about aging and in the context of um where we're starting is Aging, therefore, normal, or is aging a disorder?
2: Aging is normal. If uh, aging were a disease, we, we would have a lot more opportunities to address it. Everybody ages. Different people get different diseases. No two people necessarily die of the exact same mm-hmm. thing. So uh, aging is definitely not a disease or disorder. In fact, that's one of the greatest complaints of the people that do aging research, that the National Institutes of Aging tends to historically fund research in areas that pertain to diseases associated with being older, such as dementia, things like that, Mm -hmm. nobody really addresses fundamental biological questions as to how and why we age. It's a really tough but really interesting question. Mm
1: -hmm. And a lot of these questions come about um, I can imagine because we as humans um, ac- across the planet, especially in first world nations like in the United States, are living longer than historically we ever have. And therefore, therefore, issues of aging are not just about getting to reproductive age, reproducing, and then being around long enough to have your progeny being able to reproduce themselves. So, in the context of where we're going to go with today's discussion, um, can you tell us about a little bit about sort of the, the, the reasons why aging has become more of an issue here, so the evolution of the aging research and why people look at it?
2: Yeah, well, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, one of the statements you just made, in essence, that um, if, you, if you look in the fossil record, and this is one of, the, one of the things that Leonard Hayflick stated that really resonated for me, aging is an artifact of civilization. Uh, for most of human humanoid existence people didn't really live past 30 or 40 years of age so that was sufficient time to reach reproductive age have progeny if you survived having progeny yeah. living long enough to see them reach reproductive age and then all bets were off but if you look at 30 or 40 as you know the end of life mm-hmm. we've basically doubled human lifespan mm-hmm. in the last couple hundred years and when I say we've That reflects advances in education, access to potable water, better nutrition, Mm -hmm. healthcare, healthcare, vaccines, antibiotics, science. Folks are is the reason why we're living as long as we do. And yes, in less developed nations, they're seeing their lifespans increase as well. And it's what's interesting in particular is when you look at Western nations or, or more developed nations, if you will, those that have. Uh, cradle-to-grave health care outlast us.
1: Here in the United States. In the
2: United States. There you go. So that's kind of a key factor, is access to health care. And actually focusing on prevention, I think that's kind of a theme of what Health War 1-1 is, you know, learning from an early age, things you can do to increase your health span, not necessarily your lifespan, but your health span. Yeah.
1: So certainly one of the reasons why people are living longer is not a change in our genome or something, is that our... Preventative health and all the public health things that we have allow us to, I guess one of the words in the field is age more healthily. Correct. Age with health or, or, or something like that. And so aging in of itself is probably in terms of evolution is a good thing, but it's nothing that would have been selected for in, in terms of the, the, the evolution of humans.
2: Correct. Mother Nature could care less about our longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at diseases that manifest themselves later in life, there's no selection against them because they show up later in life. Yeah, Alzheimer's yeah. Is, is a great really example. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. So there are a variety of diseases that don't appear until later in life, so they're not really selected against. Right, because they
1: don't show up to post-reproductive age, and that's mm-hmm. part of evolution by natural selection. If you have right. diseases that don't show up way past you t- you're spreading your, your, your germline right. on, there's no selective pressure.
2: Conversely, other them. diseases are calling the herd, if you will. Mm-hmm. You're selecting for fitness for those that have better immunity or you know, responses to diseases, those individuals are going to be selected to remain in the gene pool. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And that, that's a whole other, we could have a whole show about how interventions and immunizations and health and all these things that we do, medicine have allowed us to pass on less fit genes. Yeah. A, that's and a, I would
2: love to, that. Would but, be a but this is search. not to say that you can't do selective breeding select for longevity they've done this Mm -hmm. in laboratory settings where you can select for long-lived fruit flies etc cetera, Mm -hmm. and then mate them and you'll you can significantly extend lifespan you can't really do that with humans unless you bank sperm and eggs see how things turn out for those individuals toss out the sperm and egg and those individuals that are prone to having late stage disease and enrich for those with longevity genes Mm -hmm. so that's a form of eugenics Yes, yes. It's not going to happen because you need to to have somebody in charge for a long, 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 long period of time in order to do that.
1: And and when the governments take control of those things, history has shown sometimes bad things happen. Uh, Most of the time, that (laughs) is correct. Yeah, so we're not going to go there. And so one one last brief question for this segment. Um, When we talk about aging, one of the things we want to talk about is not just living longer but quality of life. So is that a component of your thinking and your teaching as well? Well,
2: absolutely. That's what the health span aspect versus lifespan aspect is. If you look at health care expenses, most individuals in their lifetime, 25 to 30 percent or more of what they spend in health care they spend for the last six months of life. And the quality of that life is not necessarily always very good. So from an early age, if you're thinking about prevention, you can extend your health span. And, you know, my fantasy is to be taking a run on the towpath one day and then that's when I'm done. I, you know, right. I have my cardiovascular event or whatever, but I've been feeling good and out and physically active until the day I die, as opposed to in a hospital, hooked up to machines, beeping and buzzing and things like that, right? So quality of life, health span, as opposed to um, lifespan should be your goal.
1: Excellent. And we will talk about some of these things after some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 01077
0: The Bronx and 01077 thebronxcom a dose of knowledge a day keeps a doctor away. Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. And back with your daily dosage is Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences.
1: 1077 The Bronc, 1077thebronc.com, live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Jonathan Carp, and we are in the studio today with Dr. Jim Riggs, and professor of biology here at Ryder University, and we're talking about aging. And at the end of the last segment, we talked about uh, sort of aging and quality of life, um, and those are important things, but I want to take a step back and get a little bit more reductionistic. And I want to ask, Is as we age, and, and we've operationally defined aging here as what happens post-puberty, sort of in humans, is... Um, what is the physiology uh, that leads to the behavior like what is the physiology of aging what does it mean when somebody says you know i'm aging
2: well how low do you want to go how reductivist would you like to go Cause, i, I cause essentially you, i'm going to be at cells and molecules so so that, that right?
1: we can start we can start at okay. cells and molecules and and, and we'll, we'll build
2: so essentially um hayflick showed that you could see aging at the level of cells He showed that cells would have about 50-some divisions. Human cells would divide about 50 times. Then they didn't die. They would actually senesce. They'd stop replication. They'd kind of swell up. And this is actually a protective mechanism to prevent transformation, cellular transformation in cancer. So he went to publish his work, and no one would believe him. His journals, the the premier journals, rejected his primary um, submissions. And it kind of made him a bitter Individual.
1: When was this happening? In terms this is in of the 60s, in okay. the
2: 60s, so he was working on cells at Wistar, developing cells and cell lines for vaccine development, essentially, in Philadelphia, the Wistar Institute. Yeah. But eventually he did get his paper published in the Journal of Experimental Cell Research. It became one of the most widely cited papers in all of biology on this notion that cells basically hit 50 divisions and then they stop dividing. It would be people that, some of the people that trained in his lab and their colleagues in other research labs that would show the clock was actually, he showed the clock was in the nucleus, what dictated longevity was in the nucleus. And it would be the people in other labs that would eventually show it was the chromosomes, specifically the tips of the chromosomes, or what are called the telomeres, that shorten. With each round of DNA replication, the chromosome tips will shorten. And they reach a certain point where if they continue to shorten, they'll actually encroach upon Sequence that actually encodes for genes. So there's a buffering zone of replication in your chromosome tips. You can divide, 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 but then the cells senesce because it's deleterious to continue to divide. So this process is happening in all of us. So it's a biomarker of aging. It's a biomarker it's a bi- of, of aging. Of, a,
1: of being able to determine a
2: cell's age right. by looking at some of the cell, subcellular But your nuclei. body is like a clock shop. Okay. All the clocks are at different times, right? So I can't, as a, in terms of biomarker, I can't. People draw blood from you and they'll say, I can use blood and look at the Mm -hmm. telomere length. That says nothing about your telomere length in your kidney, your spleen, your liver, your heart, your brain. So I can't walk into a clock shop and say, oh, it's 4 o'clock, when all these different clocks are at all these different times. That's a great analogy. The older you are, as you age, more of your clocks are towards the end, right? So different bodily systems are aging at different rates. Various things that you do in terms of your um, health and, and physical activity... Exercise has been shown actually wind the clock mm-hmm. back to a certain degree mm-hmm. in some individuals. There's some really interesting aging athletes that do heroic things. You know, 90 year old guys running 12 minute miles, which sounds kind of funny, but you know they're mm-hmm. they're they're Olympians when they when they do tissue analysis, individuals they they have like young tissue in them. Mm-hmm. So physical activity is really kind of vital for keeping your clock. In, in a decent yeah, place. And
1: that's something I do want to get to, but okay. you know, I, I want to use a little bit of my reductionist skills. Okay. And we want to go back in, to this cell. So we have a cell, and it has a limited number of cell divisions. And over time, things can happen, and telomeres can be shortened. So, the, one question is aging itself genetically programmed into the cell, kind of thing?
2: Uh, it's hardwired as a protective mechanism, mm-hmm. the cellular senescence idea, okay. because you don't want cells to keep, keep dividing. Unfortunately, cancer cells express a gene called telomerase that allows them to prevent their telomeres from shortening. And, and, and so, and so do stem cells in your yeah. body. There are a variety of cells in your body called stem cells right. that need to seed bodily cells, mm-hmm. and they also have this enzyme that prevents replicative senescence, is what it's called, where your cells reach a point where they can no longer divide. So, um, there is variety in terms of this capability in the body. Stem cells have this capability, but even stem cells eventually age. Mm -hmm. And even in the stem cells, unfortunately, that do express telomerase, this enzyme that winds back the tips, they're the cells that get transformed
1: and become cancers. And become cancers. Which are cells that divide out of control. Which
2: is generally 80% of all cancers are epithelial in derivation. Mm -hmm. And epithelial layers need a mitotically active, replicative Mm -hmm. potential cell throughout your lifetime. So it's really some interesting fundamental biology has come out of understanding cellular senescence in terms of cancer biology as well. Okay.
1: And I, and, and I, w- I want to move up in our, in our picture a little bit. And as cells are dividing and their genes aren't changing, but what the genes can do
2: might... Patterns change. of gene expression can exchange, yeah. certainly. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, then the cell, we're multicellular organisms. Right. So we go from studying a single cell. So there's a, is there a cell-cell component, a cell communication component over what is aging?
2: Well, you do see decline in hormone production. Originally, folks thought that the master regulator, the master clock was in the brain that was regulating hormone production, because people focused on menopause in women and decline in estrogen production. You also see a decline in human growth hormone production as people age as well. So that was originally what people mm-hmm. thought. Um, but fundamentally, it, it's, if you're a reductivist, it gets down to the level of the cell but also it gets them to the level of the molecular interactions inside the cell. The mitochondria that are the power mm-hmm. plants for the cells, which essentially were in, in cellular evolution. That's how we got ourselves is via acquisition of a, another type of cell that became the mitochondria. They make all this energy but they also produce reactive oxygen species.
1: And I'm, I'm glad Free radicals. You, exactly, it's one, it's one of the things that I wanted to bring up, and I'm glad you brought up the mitochondria, mm-hmm. because there's a, lot, there's a lot of words that are thrown out, like, you know, on the internet and, and the news, telomeres is one of them, I'm glad you explained that. But another thing that's thrown out there a lot, there are actually companies that are marketing to this, um, as there are telomere lengthening kind of things, um, uh, it, they talk about, like, oxidative stress. Correct. And can you tell us what, what is oxidative stress and how that's related? It's to cellular rusting.
2: <laughs> it's basically cells are rusting. <laughs> not, not iron. No, I mean, I mean oxidation, yeah. the oxidative process to generate that's energy. You get this oxidation. Is basically our cells rust. So these power plants, nobody wants to live by a power plant, right? Okay. But mitochondria are analogous to power plants. So they're doing good stuff, generating all this energy for cells to do their vital work. Mm-hmm but they're also generating these molecules called free radicals that are kind of ricocheting around the cell. What do free radicals do? Mm -hmm. They do DNA damage which can lead to cancer. They also oxidize lipids. Mm -hmm. What do oxidized lipids do? They stick in the artery wall and give you heart disease. When you look at what kills people in later life, number one is heart disease, number two is cancer. So they really reflect cellular oxidation and also aging. There's a whole Another area we can talk about, inflammation and how the immune system is Well, Well, under
1: normal conditions, though, doesn't your cell have, every cell in your body, have, the, it have a capability of dealing
2: with free radicals? The younger you are, the better your, your the integrity of your genetic information is preserved, particularly your vital reproductive cells. Mm-hmm. You have that preserved. You have uh, free radical scavengers. Like di- diets that are rich in berries uh, are really loaded with good free radicals. Um, I wouldn't be taking certain vitamins over the counter necessarily. You're just creating expensive urine. Mm-hmm. Your body evolved to process these important free radical scavengers from natural sources, like mostly plant products mm. and plants. You know the, the the legumes and and spinaches and mm. the uh, cruciform vegetables and the citrus fruits and, and vegetables mm-hmm. as well.
1: And these so. and these are things that sort of um, cells have learned to use to help scavenge these things. And these free radicals are, in themselves, not unique to aging. They're part of normal correct. biochemistry. That is correct. So as cells are doing all the things they do, yeah. these things are part of the, like, the, they're shed as part of the neurobiological they process. They hoover
2: up free radicals. They're like little vacuum cleaners that go yeah. around and take away the, these toxic oxygen yeah. byproducts of normal cellular metabolism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, that's two, so we have two biomarkers of aging that are out there. We there is have, no such thing as a biomarker of aging, John.
1: Well, I'm, 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 you're, that's okay. where I'm going with all this. Okay. Okay. But then there's other things that people talk about with aging, and another one's like insulin. Okay. Insulin has, is another one of these things people yeah. talk about in, in, the, in, in, the world, in, in the world of aging. Right. Tell us how insulin is related to energy and these things we're talking
2: well, about aging cells need to be told to take up glucose and insulin is the molecule that does that so you eat a sugary meal sensors in your body say you need to make insulin your pancreas start squirting out insulin insulin binds to receptors on cells and the cells start to take up the glucose but as you age this can diversify and, and actually we're not even talking about the microbiome at all here yet how the role mm-hmm. of the microbiome in the aging processes and health that's another whole yep. 411 session to talk about the microbiome But um, when you look at these conditions, heart disease, cancer, stroke, um, a number of type 2 diabetes, even dementia has been associated with something called metabolic syndrome, Mm -hmm. which essentially is a reflection of this either essentially being poorly responsive to insulin. And when you have excess sugar floating around your bloodstream, it's not good because it kind of gloms on to molecules and creates creates problems in in, in individuals. So uh, we are seeing type two diabetes in epidemic proportions. Two thirds of Americans are overweight, one third are obese. And we're seeing metabolic syndrome in teenagers. Mm -hmm. It used to be universal metabolic syndrome in anybody Mm -hmm. under the age of 40.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and where you're going with that is, is sort of you, you stole my thunder, but the things that people use talk like on the Internet have to do with aging are things that are normally going on in our body that's all the time anyway. Yeah. And that's why I was using this biomarker word saying there are so many of these things that, just, that yeah. are just part of being normal. We'll take a brief break. You're listening to Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx and 1077 TheBronx.com.
0: From healthcare to the environment around us, and everything in between, Ryder University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences, is here expanding your knowledge and perspective.
1: 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. Well, welcome back to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Carp in the studio today with Antonia, who's being very quiet, and Dr. Jim Riggs, <laughs> who is uh, giving us some very useful information about aging. And uh, Dr. Riggs okay. mentioned at the end of the last segment that um, he, he mentioned the words of the, the nutrition and the vitamin industry, that promotes, among lots of, a lot of other different interviews, that promote anti-aging sort of products and ideas. And um, can you tell us a little bit about somebody who studies this stuff and thinks about it? What do you think about these people and these products and this whole marketplace of this stuff? So,
2: thing? yeah, the internet, um, this whole, again, this is another whole topic we could go in for hours, but um, there are a lot of folks that are being marketed. The promise of anti-aging cures, things like that, Required reading in my um, class, The Biology of Human Aging, is a Scientific American article called No Truth to the Fountain of Youth. And it was written by a series of famous. Written
1: by Ponce de Leon? No, no, no. no, no.
2: I mean, and that's, we should tell, we, the audience needs to know who Ponce de Leon is. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so Ponce de Leon is a guy who supposedly landed in the northeast coast of Florida. What's the name of that town? Oh, I don't know what it's that the is. oldest one of the old like 1600s in Florida. I actually been here a couple times. I'm showing my aging, I can't remember the okay. name of the place. but um, he landed there. The, the indigenous peoples look so healthy, right? The Europeans were seeing these native peoples and say so it must be the water, you know the water that these people are drinking. to this day there are people that go down to Florida for these these special springs, spring special springs that yeah. they can go in and you know rejuvenate themselves. And there was a great piece in The Times magazine on this a couple of years ago. They're really kind of horrific. These these springs they're unkept, and there's fungi growing in them and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, so there's no truth to the Fountain Youth. These these uh, famous researchers are saying this is all baloney. It's malarkey. Um, there's nothing that's going to reverse aging. Um, there are things that people are interested in paying attention to. Metformin is a type two mm-hmm. diabetes drug that uh, is very interesting. There's a there's a fifty million dollar study that's been uh, to do this, as you can imagine, um, you need a large number of people to do such a study. And one of the challenges of studying aging in humans is the randomness, the tremendous amount of statistical noise in studying elderly people. When you study vaccines, for example, in kids, kids are relatively homogenous out of the chute in terms of weight, size, immune mm-hmm. status, intensively studied immune responses. But when you look in the elderly, they're all over the place. You got 60 year olds that look like they're 40. Mm-hmm. It was tremendous diversity. So, there's a lot stochasm. of factors
1: that play into and it, that. It, 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 so,
2: it confounds research. Yeah. This is why drug companies tend to avoid including elderly people in clinical trials because there's a lot of noise in that data. So, fundamentally, when, you know, the ride right, come full circle back to your initial question, there isn't really a whole lot of high quality work that's been done on investigating aging. So a lot of this baloney that comes up online is not based it's not grounded in scientific yeah. fact. And so
1: so in the I'm, the analogy to Ponce de Leon is really Ponce de Leon is really good because back almost 100 years, whatever 1600s, it's like, 1600s. it was in
2: the 1600s. So let's
1: go back 400 plus years. St
2: Augustine is called. Is the name it's, it's called St Augustine.
1: They, they yeah. were searching for immortality or the elixir of life back then. Yeah. So the, the the fact that there's a there's something inherent in the human People
2: were injecting themselves with extract of monkey testicles at one time, thinking it was going to rejuvenate. It's usually males that were doing such inane things. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, middle-aged males. And let's
2: not forget, we've got to talk about women outlasting men and why that might be. (laughs) That's a fun question to ask your students in class. Why do women live longer than men? Nine times out of ten, they'll tell you it's because women don't work as hard as men. (laughs) Really what that so means. I tell them, I tell them, well, you know, strap a 50 go, pound.
1: Antonia's got the gas look <laughs> on her face.
2: <laughs> chase, a, chase a three-year-old around a house for a day with a bowling ball strapped to your belly. A pregnant woman chasing a child around.
1: Yeah, but there's some data, too, is as, as, as society has changed and women are out. Uh, maybe more independent. They're catching up to
2: the... the I think phenomenon. they surpassed us a long time ago. Yeah. They tend oh, to be the adults like... in the room.
1: <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Present company included. Go there. So, so
1: the, the idea that humans are seeking sort of a anti-aging cure um, is not a new thing. It, no. It's just the Internet delivery system just allows rumors and innuendos and pseudoscience to travel a lot it faster. Increases
2: the efficiency of the grift.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, Absolutely, and um, you know, for the reasons you know, there's no atheists in the trenches. As people age and their abilities change, um, a lot of people want to recapture things from their lost youth. Yeah, it's, inher- it's an inherently human thing. Yeah, um,
2: yeah. So I mean, that's like another whole topic, right? Yeah. To we could talk about hospice. We mm-hmm. could talk about the entry into looking at ecstasy and LSD. The psychotropic drugs mm-hmm. and how they're easing transitions for individuals. They reduce anxiety when people are at terminal mm-hmm. stages of life. They find it extends hospice when these people are taking these drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they don't so wanna, there's some really interesting. They don't want to go. Yeah, well, it's they, mm-hmm. the anxiety is yeah, gone, so, and they're in yeah. a good place. They end up in a good place. I'm not saying all the trips are good, but this stuff needs to be studied because some of the evidence that's come out is pretty compelling.
1: Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned before, we want to age well. But if we go back, one of the reasons I I wanted to take you into or ask you about the cells, the subcellular things of aging in a a previous segment, is if those things are going on, what's the likelihood that there's going to be a magic bullet that's going to sense, reverse that, have cells, you know, have telomere length grow? Or is the idea just to cause to stop?
2: Don't mean to be changes? a downer, but yeah. I'd say zero. But there are all kinds of interesting folks that are like freezing brains mm-hmm. and freezing body parts in the remote possibility that some life extension option will become available. They tend to be, be tech people with a large amount of money, mm-hmm. um, with a lot of sense, like a tr- significant sense of self importance <laughs> to a certain degree. <laughs> it gets all um, the money like We're all going to feed the worms. Is essentially what I, what I tell myself. Well, unless you um, cremate, but otherwise you're going to feed the worms. And it's part of the cycle. I mean, mm-hmm. death is, a, is is part of the cycle of life. Mm-hmm. And that's one part of my course that's actually, I feel is underdeveloped. Um, there's a lot of interesting cultural differences in how people approach death and our society is pretty freaked out.
1: Yeah. Well, why why do you think that's so? Because in, uh, in other cultures, I do know that they celebrate the elderly, they celebrate their knowledge. And, and, and sometimes death is a celebration, too.
2: Yeah, I wish I could explain why we behave the way we do in certain questions like this. I don't have a really good um, explanation for that. When you look in the Victorian area, a lot of people did actually celebrate death. They made hair wreaths. They made molds of the people as they were passing away. Mm, face masks. Um, the, the yeah, face masks yeah. and things like that. The hair wreaths are very cool, mm-hmm. like an antiquarian thing that you can find that are like collections of hair from people as they yeah. died.
1: There's a museum in... Um, In Philadelphia, that has a whole room full of those. Um, I think it's the the the, I don't know if it was a permanent exhibit, but the Mutter Museum. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, and that's very cool stuff. It's now really that's kind of a DNA repository as Mm -hmm. well.
1: It is. That's that's really cool. But you know, aging and ultimately death is a normal part of being. It's part of the process. You know, I mean, we're we're not we're not going to be able to do that. In that sense, aging is a good thing. You know.
2: Yeah. um, The um, when I did my last day of my aging class, I show a clip of um, Steve Jobs giving a commencement address at Stanford. And the title of the talk is Death as a Change Agent. So he's talking about his personal odyssey with pancreatic mm-hmm. cancer. And he's telling the students that he beat it, which he clearly did not. Mm-hmm. He probably knew more than he let on at that time. But he was emphasizing how death is a change agent. Death is a driver. Accomplish the things that you want to sit out and wish to do with the notion that you know your time is short on this planet and use that to, you know death wipes out the old to make space for the new mm-hmm. right i don't want to see 160 year old individuals and baristas at Starbucks or serving <laughs> me burgers. Right. right?
1: <laughs> well, right? we certainly don't want to be that 160 years old um, in and, a diaper and not knowing anybody. And when you talk day. to students
2: about it, they, d- they definitely don't want to see it either, right? Because we, as a, our culture, we kind of delay adolescence, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We, we, delay, we, we delay adolescence. and um, It's getting worse. If we keep people around longer and longer and longer and longer, it's going to be, you know, you need to make money longer in life. In order to pay for your mm-hmm. extended existence.
1: Right. right. And, uh, and, and the green people will tell you the longer you live, the bigger your carbon footprint, the that's more waste you produce. Absolutely. And the so case. the bigger your impact on the environment around you. Yeah. No, it's um, quite true. There's a, there's a lot of uh, people going that are debating those, those sort of ethical things. Yeah. Um, which is fascinating. We'll take a break here for some underwriting announcements. You are listening to Health 411 on 1077
0: The Bronx and 1077TheBronx.com. A dose of knowledge a day keeps a doctor away. Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. And back with your daily dosage is Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences. Well,
1: 1077 The bronc, 1077 the Live from the Killarney's Public House studios, welcome back to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Carp in the studio talking about aging with Dr. Jim Riggs, professor of biology here at Ryder University. And we were talking a little bit, and I wanna come back to things that people do to, we realize we can't stop aging, but there are things that people do to try to slow down sort of the effects of aging, slow down the, the process which our cells change the way they work over time, and one thing that is getting um, a lot of uh, attention right now is this idea, it's related to food, and I'm sure you've heard about intermittent fasting as a way to slow down aging. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so one of the only things, one of the few things that actually extends lifespan in virtually every test subject ever assessed, from fruit flies through worms, cells in a dish, Mm -hmm. Primates and into early studies in humans is caloric restriction. So, a 30, so 30 per, 30, 30% caloric reduction mm-hmm. leads to 30% extension in the lifespan. So, in a 2,000 calorie diet, we're talking about knocking out 600 calories. And the health span of those individuals is, is better as well. So, they, they lose weight, their BMI, body mass oh. index, is, is in an appropriate range. And it, it definitely extends lifespan. And health span in all test subjects. The lifespan aspect of it, I think, is still subject to debate in humans because you can imagine that trial would take several hundred years to do really right. To do the proper. And the yeah. primate studies that were done, which in primates are the next closest things to the, the humans, the primate study came out and said yes, both health span and lifespan. And then another study came out and contradicted it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now those two groups got together and discussed extensively what their differences were and there were some interesting differences they were doing their experimental parameters. So that's that work is ongoing and this is how science works essentially, right? It's incremental. Uh-huh. Maybe two steps forward, one step back. But the evidence is right now very strongly in favor of health span extension in humans. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, and it, and it's and it, if they get something wrong, science is by its nature so it's self-correcting.
2: Well we want a pill. Out. We want to be yeah. able to eat your cheesecake and then take a pill afterwards <laughs> yeah. and mimic caloric restriction via a pill. That's well, not happening.
1: Well, well, it's not. It's not happening at least in, in today's world. But I, I, I want to come back to this because what caloric restrict, restriction basically is is a way. To, to lose some weight. And so we, we, could, we could also look at the corollary of that, and, and you mentioned it too, we live in a country where there's an obesity epidemic, where we have this, people are eating too much, they weigh too much, their body mass indexes are way, way, way too high. And so people will live longer and do better if they cut back on that, if, if, and if, they, if they lose weight. Um, and those are like two sides of the same coin, don't you think? If you lose some weight, you'll be healthier, and you probably have yeah. other health-related behaviors too. Part of the losing weight is you're, you might be exercising more.
2: Yeah. Um, you need both. You need, you're, you really you're, need you're both. You're doing those things. You're, you're just dieting, your body is a, considered a stress response. and conserves calories. There,
1: there you go. No Another kidding. thing that's very yeah. interesting is people talk about stress, you know, shortening telomere length, cortisol being a hormone, one of those hormones that's involved in that. Yet, when you do things like intermittent fasting and don't eat, you are actually inducing stress responses in your body. Mm-hmm. right? And so you have this thing, and sometimes the stress, physiological stress responses are bad for you, and you're not supposed to do them. And on the other hand, you're purposely inducing these sort of things, and if you do that intermittently, it's, they're so, so what's the longer. evidence
2: that the stress that's induced by intermittent fasting is deleterious to health?
1: Well, that's that's the question. The stress okay. response yeah. is the same whether it's a stress response But when or
2: I exercise, it. I stress my body. Absolutely. What's the difference? Right. So, but I mean, one man's stress is one person's stress is another person's good thing, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, stress is very nebulous to yes. and, and measurement is, is is a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. It I mean, absolutely is, is a challenge.
1: And it can it changes so, over time because yeah. if you become acclimated to it, a thing that at one time was stressful becomes less stressful um, as you yeah. habituate to. And it. I would,
2: it's really interesting. I mean, we, you and I are always going to argue about mm-hmm. these sorts of things. Absolutely. We, we tend to do that. But I tell students, if you want to get optimized exercise, start walking, get to jogging, and then do intervals. You, you mm-hmm. do need to stress your body a little bit. You, know, you need to be out of breath. Abso- absolutely. But let's come back to the aging thing. So I,
1: I mean, this, we, we could do a whole other show on that, and we probably should. Is The, the body weight thing is fascinating to me. Um, in, in one sense, because of my background in the relationship between body weight and reproductive function, right? We know that, um, for example, uh, do
2: you mean reproductive re- outcome or do you mean reproductive, re- re-
1: reproductive um, uh, abilities? Okay. You know, at some point, you know, you know, women of reproductive age need a certain body weight for ovulation and all that, all that sort of stuff. If you fall below that, you may you know, you may be very healthy and you might live a long time, <coughs> yep. but then you've, in a sense, turned off your reproductive system. Um, Long-distance runners, especially of college, it yep. happens all the time. Absolutely. You know, menses sort of halts yeah. um, and stuff like that. Um, and, and certainly those people are very, very healthy. Yep. They'll probably live a long time, but there's a link to reproductive health on the other mm-hmm. side. And in the world of aging, I see that it's an inherent conflict. On the other side, you have, you know, pubertal young women you know, they enter puberty earlier if they're heavier. Right. And you can delay puberty by keeping body weight down. Um, and I just think in, in the context of aging, I'm fascinated by that. I mm-hmm. don't have an answer, but I see, yeah. I see a link between food and aging on a lot of levels. Yeah.
2: The, the, so the concept of conception at, what is it, nine, 10 years of age? I mean, that's what I seem to remember hearing at one mm-hmm. point, just because of body fat mm-hmm. and young, young women. Accelerated puberty, leading, meaning ovulation and the potential for pregnancy at such a ridiculous age. Younger, younger and younger ages. That was non existent at Neolithic. Right. In the, in the, there was no quick check on every corner to give you a, you know, a subway yeah. sandwich or whatever you right. have, right? There were no 64 so, ounce big gulps. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> there wasn't like 2,000 <laughs> calories in a drink. Right. Right. So food was scarce. People were on the move. They were physically active. Yeah. And the notion of ovulation before the age of like 14 or 15 was kind of unusual, right? So in terms of our evolution, we've always been mobile. We've been historically quite mobile, and food had been very limiting. You look at fast food onset in, like, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, we're in the shadow of the onset of the fast food emergence, right? Mm. I think that Alzheimer's disease, prion disease, dementia disease, in some way, shape, or form may be associated with the explosion in hamburger consumption that you see. Correlation not yeah, causation, correlation, not causation. Okay. But I'm planting that seed. That's you can right? always speculate on these so, things. But, I mean, you, we were not big until relatively recently, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah. The, the, the giants of, you know, of, of uh, historical
2: lore right.
1: might have been like six feet tall.
2: Right. So yeah. eighth grade, we had to run-a-timed mile. Did you do that, Antonia, in high school? Did you have to run a timed mile?
1: Yeah, but I was never good at it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I'm glad at least your school did. I took a lot of students, and there's like, wait, what? Why would I have to do that? They right. don't do that anymore. So, like physical activity, physical exercise. We, and, we should and, be doing. That. We should be doing a lot more of that. Right. And teaching people about proper mm-hmm. diet and nutrition. Again, like it aging start, well. talk about aging. And it well. should start yeah. in preschool. Yeah, it should really start very, very early. Yeah. yeah. So.
1: We were arguing a little bit about the diet thing, but there are two other things I want to talk about today's show. One of them is exercise. Exercise tends to show up over and over again about aging well. And it tends to be supported by the research a lot more than these dietary fads and internet things or devices that you wear on your head or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, <laughs> so, so tell us, tell us a little bit what you think about exercise. Like what is does oh, exercise Of course. Doing? I
2: mean, exercise is, yeah. like I just said, if we, we were born to move, we were always on the move as an evolutionary. That's why we had the big derriere that we have essentially for symmetry and balance and walking right. and trotting to pursue food, to mm-hmm. move away from inhospitable environments. Right. right. Um, Many, many studies have shown that there are still nomadic people that move constantly. There's evidence that we actually ran down food. We just continued to move to we, what we, our prey was exhausted and that we would actually capture it. So um, the notion that we, we're so desk-bound. Yeah,
1: that we don't move. To, th- sitting
2: behind a today's sitting is yesterday's tobacco use. People have said that as, That's as, as, as a health risk. Yeah. The, our lack of uh, getting up and moving around. The so that's thing. why people get their Fitbits that give them a jolt and tell them to get up take a, <laughs> take a lap around the stairs yeah. you know, move around.
1: Um, the other thing I wanted to, 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 to ask you about is what another thing that comes up a lot in the aging well literature is the role of social support, the interaction, mm-hmm. where you might not be changing things on the cellular level, but it changes the well-being of the people.
2: Yeah, when you look at uh, centenarians, right, mm-hmm. There are one of so the key factors that you see in centenarians is resilience, that they've handled stressors in their life very well. And again, they tend to be women, and they tend to have social circles. They're very uh, interactive with other people. They have a social support structure. They have this daily interaction, and they're not they're not isolated. So that's absolutely the case and women tend to be more social than men in general so that might be a factor as well so
1: there're data showing that you women know. age better
2: a women out, about, out in uh, most cultures with some interesting notable exceptions women outlast men not necessarily in all critters but in humans okay. for sure yeah,
1: yeah. Um, A lot of ideas for future shows, Dr. Riggs. Um, And so after we're done here, I'm I'm, going to ask you to do that. But unfortunately, we're coming to the end. Well, 1077 The Bronco, 1077thebronc.com, live from Killarney's Public House Studios. Thank you for listening to Health 411. This program is part of the Rider University Health Studies Institute's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health care. I hope today's program has helped inform you about aging and aging well. I'd like to thank our guest. Dr. Jim Riggs. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. If you have questions and or comments about this program or the Health Studies Institute at Rider University, please email us at health411 at rider.edu.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to your health with Health 411. Dr. Jonathan Carp is here from Rider University's Health Studies Institute every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information about the Health Studies Institute's programs, call 609-896-5093. That's 609-896-5093. Or find their webpage on rider.edu under Academics and Academic Programs. Be sure to tune in every week to expand your knowledge and perspective. And don't forget to stay healthy.